People who commit certain so-called crimes, like prostitution or drug use, can be guided away from the criminal legal system to psychosocial services, helping them to avoid jail time where they then begin a history in the criminal system. How about assigning them to case managers instead of probation officers? People in charge of public safety should be working with the community as part of it, not just in the community as authority over it. Welcome to this episode of The Shrinks After Hours. Happens the last Tuesday of every month when Julie and I sit around and chat, after hours of course, about issues that are important and concerning to us. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And today, Julie and I are going to talk about policing, its history, what's wrong with it, and what could be improved. It's always good to understand how things evolve. Yeah. The murder of George Floyd seemed to create a tipping point around the country to re-examine our system of public safety, given the many tragic and unjust deaths of so many black and brown Americans by the police. Policing in America has a long history of preserving the violent legacy of slavery and upholding white supremacy. I know that might be surprising, but it shouldn't be at this point. (laughs) Sending law enforcement out into the community was first a way to track down runaway slaves and keep enslaved people in their places so they wouldn't disturb the peace or be a threat to the community. As we have literally begun to see on video, thank goodness, many police departments continue to perpetuate a culture of racially biased policing including racial profiling, over-surveillance of communities of color, criminalization of behaviors that actually don't pose any threat to public safety, like George Floyd's attempt to use a counterfeit $20 bill in a convenience store, you know. Exactly. And after that, through the rage and protest that followed the death of George Floyd, Many people have demanded an independent review and overhaul of our system for maintaining public safety. Minimally, we need to reduce the type of police encounters that are disproportionately hurtful and even fatal for people of color. Because the system is so broken, there's also a growing police abolition abolition movement focused on the understandable idea that just reforming the police isn't enough. A lot of training and a lot of reforms have been tried. We may honestly be beyond the point where these kind of initiatives can't really impact an irreparably corrupt system. Right, I mean, that's why we're talking about it. It's, yeah. it's a complicated issue. And all these ideas have such different meanings to different people. It's hard to gr- agree on how to go forward. You know, when you hear abolish the police and stuff, some people get scared. 
and defund the police. But one area where there's a lot of agreement is that the police handle a lot of jobs for which they are really not trained. And the truth is other people who are actually trained, trained professionals should be doing that work. Yeah, that's a good point. For example, police are usually the first responders in things like domestic disputes, issues with homeless or mentally ill people, or people with substance use disorders, but they don't necessarily have training to respond to safety and health concerns of these kinds of vulnerable people and the people who care about them. Right. So what if we imagined a different kind of approach, a more collaborative approach, where people from the community, family members, mental health professionals, and law enforcement, and also others, work together in these delicate situations toward what's really best for the people and the community involved instead of just pulling out guns and killing people. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it would make so much sense. Police respond to millions of 911 emergency calls every year. And often the responding officers have no idea how to deal with the number of calls that are coming from people with serious mental illness or disability, again, homelessness, addiction. So it's all treated like criminal activity. Right. You know, if you go to a psychologist, you get therapy. If you go to a psychiatrist, you're more likely to get meds. And if you go to the police, there's more likelihood of getting an arrest. And so many of these 911 calls lead to harmful escalation, especially when people of color are involved. Yeah, I would add that if you go to the police, there's a higher chance that someone gets killed. And that's really what this is all about. That is the bigger problem. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you go to a surgeon, you get surgery. This all makes sense. (laughs) The problem is the police are trained to arrest and to shoot at people who are resistant to arrest and, and or who are just behaving, I don't know, not typically in some way. In a way that seems frightening in the moment, yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, people who are black or brown or poor or all of the above with behavioral health disorders, mental health disorders, they're much more likely to end up in detention or jail because of a 911 call which means they're not getting the help they need. I mean, many really, they should be referred to someone who actually works in the field that might help them. And then part of this also results in so many communities that have really big police budgets because the police have to respond to all these things and do all this stuff, but the residents still don't feel safe or protected. Right, so we looked into it and police budgets in some large cities they have grown from just over 1% of their overall budgets since the late 70s to almost 8%. Now that might sound small, but in terms of percentage of budget just for police, it is not small, it's big. And as more and more of the budgets are allocated to the police, where are they taking that money from? Well, there's less and less money for programs that we know reduce crime. And so the, the problem is this increasing budget for the police but not for the support of the community helps perpetuate this really unjust and inequitable system. Right. When giving communities the necessary social supports to affect crime means we'd have to really look at how we're funding and supporting our communities. Definitely. 
And, you know, of course, officers need more training. We're talking about that. And, and lots of people are, and it would help increase community engagement. It would help increase trust in the police, which has declined in some communities. If people feel like they're part of a community and care more about the community, they're more likely to work with each other to preserve safety and security for everybody, right? Makes sense. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's why we're trying to reimagine and rethink this, because I think we have to look at everything and not, not just assume that we have to like stick with the system as it is and work within it. If we don't abolish the police, they at least need to get better at working with communities, especially communities of color, to better meet the needs of the people who live there. And we also need some serious solutions for police brutality and their misconduct. You know, getting back to working as a community though, we need to pay attention to the fact that most arrests are for minor offenses. Yeah, that whole idea of arresting for minor offenses jams up the entire legal system. And also like, I think about it this way. It packs the prisons too. It packs the prisons, it's all bad. And you know, we pay taxes that fund the police. That's how they're funded. So people who are black and brown and people in poor communities, they pay taxes to fund the police too. So the police are supposed to be providing a service for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's not what it feels like. Over 10 million arrests are made in the US every year, which is one every three seconds. But only about 5% are really for serious violent offenses. Others are for nonviolent offenses, and a lot of them are things like money forgery, shoplifting, or for marijuana, which you know is used in equal numbers by white and black people. But black people, of course, are four times more likely to get arrested for it. For a lot of people, instead of arresting them, there's all sorts of other options. We can refer them to treatment. We can get them housing, other appropriate social services that boost them, that help them rather than bring them down. And, and victims can be treated as more than just witnesses, but people who may need referrals for counseling or social services, of course. Like, this is also logical. Right. It's just about people. If you really think about the best interest of the actual people. Right. But the whole culture around our ideas of public safety could be reframed to one where we focus more on service to the community. People who commit certain so-called crimes, like prostitution or drug use, can be guided away from the criminal legal system to psychosocial services, helping them to avoid jail time where they then begin a history in the criminal system. How about assigning them to case managers instead of probation officers? People in charge of public safety should be working with the community as part of it, not just in the community as authority over it. Absolutely. And also like when you send someone to jail, you are basically ensuring that they have more trauma. Often, you know, people who end up in the world of prostitution or drug use, they can have trauma backgrounds. And then you send them to jail and you're doing the opposite of helping them. There is no, and I mean this com complete, there's no benefit at all of sending those people to jail. It doesn't do anything for society. It doesn't do anything except harm the person. I feel strongly about that. Yeah. You know, lately, of course, because we all know this is true, we've been from TV, we've been seeing a lot of excessive and even lethal force used by police during interactions with unarmed people. 
actually doing just what they're told. And this happens disproportionately to people of color. Sometimes there's no threat at all to public safety and police respond as if there is one, such as when a man was shot in Philadelphia for begging for money at a stoplight. Or there was the guy who was clearly mentally ill in West Philly holding a butter knife who got shot and how many times he got shot. It's crazy. Yeah, that was terrible. Poverty is also criminalized in a few different ways. You know, I didn't know this until we looked into it, but I mean, I know people are charged fees and fines and then more fees for unpaid fines. <laughs> and then there's some pretty stringent rules and ways to try to collect that money. Yeah, cash bail. I really hate it. It is definitely not necessary to ensure public safety. Yeah, and then this last one, this is the, one, the thing I didn't know, is following up with probation is often outsourced to private companies and the people on probation have to pay a monthly fee to the company who's providing probation. They have to pay for their own probation. Yeah. And people are making money off of their probation. Private companies yeah. are making money. That, is, that sounds so unethical. And also it doesn't serve the public properly because it's about making money. Yeah. It's absurd. So because we didn't know this, we're basically talking about it because cultural awareness, you know, a lot of people didn't know what we just said about cash bail and the fact that probation companies exist. Um, but that's not good enough. Just knowing that stuff isn't good enough. There needs to be interaction with different people. We need to work on implicit bias in both the police and in the public, since this impacts communication, whatever decisions are made, and relationships within the community, of course. Yeah, and really, it seems like it would be so much better if police reflected the community they're part of. Again, like if they were part of the community, not in charge of it, like the way they, you know, sometimes swagger up and down the street, instead of just being like regular people about the community, caring about the residents and what's going on. Right. And the more they know the community that they serve, the better they can be at policing because they know who's who, they know who's mentally ill, they know which couples might be fighting. They don't have to pull their gun out in fear over yep. nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, we could train police officers to focus on mental health and mental illness, you know, recognizing mental illnesses or substance use disorder or disabilities, autism. I mean, I know there was a, I'm thinking of a case of an autistic kid that was killed because I don't know, he didn't respond the way the police wanted him to. Right, his mom called for help and they... Yeah. I mean, they definitely need training, no question about it, but that's a lot of training. You know, we went to graduate school for years to get that <laughs> that's training. That, that's like a whole other degree they would exactly. need, or several degrees. <laughs> right. In a way, it would be more helpful, or I think it would be more helpful to use more professionals who have that expertise to be part of the public safety plan. So we'd need some ways to evaluate the plan, make sure that the different professionals work well together. There need to be some kind of teamwork, you know, and maybe even mm -hmm. um, a facilitator to help the team kind of become a team. Mm -hmm. um, but even if we just stick with the police, we still need them to be evaluated by outside investigators or something like that to make sure that they continue to follow moral, ethical, and legal guidelines, their body cams are not just, they're not enough, obviously, because they keep killing people. Right. Some of them don't even care what shows up on the body cam. Right. And partly it's because most of their investigations into foul play are internal, which is kind of ridiculous. You know, oversight should include people with like outside 
of the police outside of the safety teams, people with relevant lived experience that can understand what's actually happening and community members that are impacted by whatever's happening in the community. Other professions have checks and balances on the services they provide, but police don't seem to like to be questioned about what they're doing. (laughs) It's hard to impact the police because they seem to become threatened. They wanna be the authority. So even when protests erupted like last year and people marched against police brutality, police often responded with more brutality on camera. Yeah, yeah, it's a cultural value within the police forces like all over this country. It's, it's a kind of scary. Mm-hmm. And then like to do something about it, obviously we would need more funding for these creative ideas that we're talking about to help public safety in the community and for supporting programs and services. But you know, the thing is like, if we put the money into that, crime is gonna go down and there'll be savings because prison time and people being sent to prison will be reduced. You know, the goal is to minimize prison use as much as possible. It's a huge expense and it's not helpful to people. Right, and some of that money can be used for funding more creative public safety ideas. I mean, there's so many ways to find funding for it, I think. And it's hard to take questions about how we'd fund such important things seriously when our government seems to find the money for some of the most ridiculous things sometimes. Basically, what they really want, they find the money for it. Mm -hmm. So investing in communities for safety and economic justice never seems to be the priority, but it seems like it should be so highly valued. Yeah, if they can throw a lot of money at seeing if there are UFOs out there, then they can certainly protect the humans on Earth a little better. (laughs) But this is especially true, of course, in communities that have really high incarceration rates and really high crime. You know, basically the bottom line is that we're not all experts in public safety, but there are certainly things we can look at to think about a more effective way forward because what we have now is just harmful to communities and generations of people. So we have to be more creative. We have to look for alternative programs. We have to look for enhanced programs, policies that avoid unnecessary encounters with police. And then also the police have to not be so ready to draw their guns in those encounters. Yeah, so this might be a little bit off topic, but a lot of this discussion has me thinking about my time on a kibbutz in the 70s and how surprised I was when I was there to learn that they didn't call the police. They did their own policing within the community. Of course, there were only 700 residents there and ultimately if someone was truly unacceptable, they could kick them out. But they dealt with things like drug activity and other like wayward and weird behaviors in a lot of various ways, but all of them were internal. Wow, so I guess they offered, you know, mental health or drug support. And it was just like community policing, you know? I remember there was some guy who used to like to be in the public female showers. And so, but like, you know, like you just like went to them and they took care of him. You know, they stopped him from doing that just by their own pressure and watching him. And they just had ways to deal with these things that weren't like, you know, trying to shoot him or something. Yeah, I mean, maybe when you're part of a small community, and that's kind of what we're talking about, like these policing communities need to feel like a community. Maybe when you're part of a small community, the the way the best way to police is 
with compassion. You know, you talk to the person, you see what they need, you try to help them. Usually when people act in bad ways, it's because they need something, you know, they're, they have some kind of struggle that they're doing. They, they need support. And it makes them feel part of something and cared about. And it's just a different way of interacting with people. I think people think that we can't do that in cities because cities are so much bigger than these small communities. But if you take like, like cities are sectioned off, have their own little communities. They do. And that's what could be the focus, the local surroundings. It can because a, a policeman isn't covering all of Philadelphia. Right. You yeah. know, he, he covers his own little beat. Mm-hmm. And on his beat, he could get to know the people in the community and, and you know, get feel mm-hmm. like part of it. So absolutely, I think it's not that different. I like that picture of how it was on the kibbutz in the yeah. 70s. I don't know what it's like now, but I like that idea that when somebody acts out, they need care. They need personal attention. They don't need punishment. I don't think punishment really does much for anybody ever, of course. But here now, the police often represent the state, not the community. And that's just the, the cultural value from the beginning of time when, yeah. <laughs> you know, when they ran after slaves. Mm-hmm. So a really great idea would be having the public safety network be part of the community. So there's helpers, they're not, it's not an authoritative thing. Like professionals and neighbors work together cooperatively to preserve everybody's health and safety, to take care of community needs, solve problems together, create policy together. Wouldn't that be beautiful? That is, and I I was really struck when I first heard um, AOC suggest that it's not hard to imagine how this could be because it's how it is in suburban, mostly white communities. Yeah. In a way it is. I've thought about that a lot. There's still a lot of issues, but it's true that it's very different and it would be a major improvement just right there for lots of communities. Wow. That's a really amazing point you made. Of course it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like we never have police just walking up our street. I have police cars (laughs) driving up and down my street sometimes at 4 a.m. to check the neighborhood. Yeah. It doesn't feel aggressive. It feels protective because I'm white in a nice suburban community. Right. They're not checking for you. They're checking for anybody, you know, who shouldn't be there for some whatever reason they think that is. Or anything suspicious, but they don't have their guns out. You know, I'm not threatened by them. Yes, it could be like that everywhere. How nice that would be. They're not checking to see if you're, you know, smoking weed on your porch. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) No, as a matter of fact, they're probably pretty cautious about interfering in my life. They don't know what I'm doing unless there's a problem. It's really, it's just such a culturally different experience Mm -hmm. being white with regard to the police who can, you know, they'll feel like protection where if you're a person of color, they should feel like protection, but they feel like a threat. Right. They are a threat. Yeah. They literally kill people. So we can be Creative in finding alternatives to jailing people too for criminal activity. Cause like I said, I hate prisons and I don't think they're especially useful except for maybe very extreme reasons. And especially when the person who's acting out has unmet behavioral health needs or is struggling as a result of poverty. So groups like the Movement for Black Lives at m4bl.org have been working hard toward a complete reimagining of the roles and responsibilities of police in America. So you should check it out. The website's informative and you can donate there if you like what they're saying or learn about suggested ways to take action against systemic racism. 
And you can also read on the Human Rights Watch website, hrw.org, which has a lot of suggestions for police reform. And here are some other sites. Vox.com has stuff on police reform policies. Manhattan Institute, which is manhattan-institute.org, sensible police reform. Yeah, there's a lot of good groups and thinkers that really have great ideas and some of them have been tried and they do work and you know there's all kinds of ideas out there so yeah I feel like we should be optimistic about focusing on police reform it's not to punish police and they do an absolutely scary and worthwhile job every yeah. day they get up they don't know what's going to happen to them you know they, they could get killed yeah at the same time we have this amazing opportunity to make it better so much better so much more caring and supportive and community building. Yep. Let's make some changes, I say. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> okay. I think we're, uh, we're done here. Thanks for listening. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Till next time. Take care. Thank you.